Hey, welcome to Lakeview Sermon of the Week. We're so grateful to have you here, and we hope you enjoyed today's message. You can be seated. We're going to be looking at 1 John. 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. And uh, going to be talking about true fellowship what it is to be united with one another in relationship, what, what God's after, what's he, what's he up to. And I think we're learning in greater measure what it is to trust, to trust him. And to trust him is to give him more of yourself. It's relational, right? It's like, I didn't meet my wife. Is the micro, can somebody help me out? Thanks, Justin. Uh, when I met my wife the first time I met her, uh, I fell in love with her, but um, it took time for us to, for that relationship to unfold and to get to a place of trust. Because how many of you ever have put intimacy before your level of trust? Recipe for disaster. That trust must precede intimacy. Or you'll stir up something before it's time. And you'll sabotage the relationship. Because how many of you know when you cross a line of intimacy, it messes with your head. And it gets you to thinking you're further along than what you are. And then when the real issues start coming up, you're so tied together you can't get out. No, the lie is you can't get out, but the lie, the truth is you could, you could. So it's the same with the relationship with God. The church is called the bride and he's the groom and he's willing to wait. He's not in a hurry. He's willing to reveal himself so that your trust is built up enough that you could step into intimacy with him. When it came to... I'm not trying to be graphic here. This is just what it was. The Jewish culture was very frank and forward and romantic love pictures. I mean, if you ever read the Song of Solomon, make you blush. <laughs> Can't even read it in church. Yikes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Some of these people are going, man, I'm going to check out what's this book he's talking about, Song of Solomon. What is it? I, I saw some teenagers do one of these right here. But in the, uh, in the culture, when Jesus was saying, and he was using romantic bridal language when he was talking to his people, and he said, I go to prepare a place for you so that where I am, you'll be also. That usually gets preached in a funeral of Jesus was going into heaven, and uh, he's going to get heaven ready and get your mansion ready so you can come on up. But he didn't say, so that where I'm going to be, you could be one day. He said that where I am, where I am, you'll be also. So he's ending separation. So he's using 
wedding terminology. And what would happen in the, in the Jewish culture is, is you would uh, come into an agreement with another family and you'd trade goats or rubies or whatever you did there. And you'd, uh, and you'd trade and you'd come up with a bride price and both families would have to be all in that this is God's in this, this is right, we're going to do this, we're coming together, this is not going to be something that's going to bring shame, this is something that's going to bring healing and wholeness. And so it was a, it was a family endeavor, it was, a, it, was a, it was arranged in a sense, it was that you trusted your family more than you trusted yourself. Um, not a terrible idea uh, to get your family's approval with who, who you're talking to. But um, so... Uh, so the groom would come and say, hey, you know, and they would arrange everything and it was as good as done. But then he would go away for a year and he would either build a room onto the current house. So you had to live with your in-laws. It's just what it was. Or you built a little tent section onto the bigger tent that the family was in. And so it would take him about a year to get all that stuff sorted out. And then he would go and get the bride. When they would get the bride, it was like a seven-day ceremony, feast, party, okay? It was a seven-day party when you got married back then. And what would happen is, is when the marriage was consummated, there would be a friend of the bridegroom that would go, and then the garments that the bride was on uh, would indicate that she was a virgin. And so they would throw the garment over. The friend of the bridegroom would examine it and say yes, and go back and tell the family isn't this weird? Can you imagine this going on now? Like, oh my gosh, what was going on with these people? But, um, but when they would show the, the chastity of the bride, the family would celebrate and, the, and it was a done deal. And that's how, that's how, that's how they did it. So Jesus is using this, this ceremonial language. But here's the cool thing that what Jesus did. So the, so the purity was always on the bride. Isn't it funny? The man never had to prove that he was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Takes two to tango. But... Um, but Jesus strips himself bare on the cross and bleeds, and it's his blood that makes the bride pure. So he reverses the responsibility. That's why in Ephesians he said, hey, men, yeah, you're the head of the household, but guess what? You better be like Jesus, and it's your blood that's shed that's going to cover and protect her. That that's the picture. That Jesus is willing to strip himself first to show you there's not one thing in him that's not for your flourishing and not for your good and your benefit. So Jesus establishes trust before he ever asks for intimacy. Is this okay? I mean, I'm not trying to do marriage counseling here, but this could help some people. So Jesus bears himself completely holy, is, is willing to be vulnerable before he's willing to be intimate. And he invites by our choice to step into that. And so God is calling us, displaying himself to us, his goodness and his mercy and his greatness and how wonderful he is so that we might choose to walk into the fellowship with him, that we might walk with him and enjoy him, okay? So the word for fellowship gets its definition from the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And the word is koinonia. Uh, Brother Josh asked me, he said, what are you teaching on? I said, I'm teaching on koinonia. He goes, oh, I love corn casserole. I said, no, not corn, koinonia. It comes from the, yeah, don't tell him I said that because he'd be embarrassed. But he really, he started going. But um, no, he did in my living room. We had this talk. He's like, corn, yeah, I never had that. And I'm like, no, it's a, never mind. Um, koinonia. And so it comes from the root word koinos, which means common or shared. 
And so the word for fellowship means common. So you might say it like this. Man, we have a lot in yeah, so it's like we jive, we gel, we're, we're sharing the same of our life. And so it was a bigger picture in biblical language. It would mean like there's nothing that I have that you don't have access to and there's nothing that you have that I don't have access to. But it went beyond resources. It would also mean there's nothing in me that you can't see to help me because I trust you that much. And there's nothing in you that you could show me that would scare me off because we're fully committed. We're in this thing together. So koinonia was this picture for fellowship, and it could also mean, it, it was also used in the language to, for the definition of an offering. When Paul says, hey, i got to take this offering to, the, to the, the Jews in Jerusalem that are struggling, and he's taking up this offering from all these Gentiles, the word there, fellowship, is, is also offering. So it's this big term, this big picture of this fellowship that is intimate, that is not hidden, it's not hiding, it's not being, it's vulnerable, it's open, it's an exchange, it's something that's just really, 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 really special. And so 1 John chapter 1 verse 7 kind of rolls this out for us. 1 John chapter 1 verse 1 through 7, this is what we proclaim to you, what was from the beginning, what we have heard. What we have seen with our eyes, what we have touched with our hands, have touched concerning the word of life. And life was revealed. And we have seen and testified and announced to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. What we have seen and heard, we announce to you too. Here's the reason why they've announcing this. This is a Kind of a thesis statement, if you will. So that you may have with us, and indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. Now, why all this fellowship? Have you ever just had enough fellowship sometimes? You know, there was a group called the Desert Fathers, and they thought to be the most Christian you could possibly be is you needed to go into the desert and be alone and, like, torture yourself and have these ecstatic experiences with God. But I want to tell you, <laughs> if you really want to know where you're at in Him, start rubbing elbows with some other folk. <laughs> And that's why this is the, always the litmus test. They'll know who you are by your love for God. They'll know who you are by your love for one another. That's how they're going to know you're my disciples. So Jesus makes the litmus test the hardest thing it is to do sometimes. And that's to be open and love one another. That's what, he, that's what the standard is. They say, you know. You know, the first commandment is, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second one's likened into it, love your neighbor as yourself. Right? And so some people say, well, I'm a love God. We're a passionate God-seeking church. And then this church is like, oh, well, we just love our brother. And every once in a while we look at God and ask him for a little help. You can't have one without the other. And so what John is trying to say is the fellowship that we have with you, man, this is just what we learned watching Jesus, how he loved the Father. How that son and father relationship is, that's the same kind of relationship I want to build with you guys. 
So that, ready, verse 4, here's, here's the reason. Thus we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. So here's the eternal purpose of God. Are you ready? It's so, it's so complex you'll never understand it. It's too, it, it would exhaust, I would, could it, I would have to exhaust many volumes of theology to explain to you the eternal purpose of God. Are you ready? The Father loves the Son and they love you. They like hanging out together and they want to hang out with you too. It's like when you start stripping down to see what God's really up to, you find out, hey, he just really wants to be with me. He's trying to remove every hindrance that's keeping me from him. That's really what he's up to. And then when I start to trust that, guess what? I take another step of intimacy towards him. Right? Because generally when we give him our life, we think we've given him all of it until the Holy Spirit shows us another area that we need to give him. <laughs> Like, Jesus, I give you my life. And then the Holy Spirit shows something. Well, I thought I did. Uh, okay, I give you my uh, money. <laughs> and you take a step. Oh, hey, he knows how to help me steward this thing. Oh, oh, I give you my dating life. Ah! And they're like, oh, wow, he makes better decisions than I do. Oh, I give him my job. Ah! Oh, hey. He's got a plan to prosper me and help me and to make me know what it is to look like him in the workplace and to not be pulled down by those who would try to shift and shake me and knock me off. It's like, it's like every level of trust is to bring me to a new place of intimacy. So some of you are like, I don't even know. I'm just checking this thing out right now. And that's okay. But take the first step and say, Jesus... I give you all of myself that I'm comfortable to now. And you operate with them there. And I think what you'll find is each time you take a step towards him, it's just like he gets better and better. And you're just like at the end of the day, you're like, why didn't I do that 40 years ago? You know what my biggest cry is? Is why did I wait till I was 22 to serve Jesus? I wasted 22 years for the king. That's how good he is. That's how good he is. You want to get back every opportunity you didn't give to him and give it back to him. Because it's just how wonderful, it's how beautiful he is. So this is the eternal purpose of God. The gospel is an invitation, the good news from the Godhead is that they want to share fellowship, lifestyle, koinonia with you. So what, what Jesus thinks about the Father and their relationship is the thing that he wants to bring you into. So John 10.30 says this. It's what Jesus says. The Father and I are mm, pretty close. <laughs> pretty close relationship there. John 14.20 says this. I love this fact. This is probably one of my life verses. You will know at that time, this is Jesus talking, that I'm in the Father, and you are in, and I'm in. It's pretty intimate. <laughs> that Jesus is in the Father, and that you are in Him, and He is in you. Like this is what 
God is calling you into and what he's calling us into with each other. That Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have this beautiful movement where they're always deferring to one another, right? Because people start giving Jesus credit, and what does Jesus say? I don't do anything that I didn't see the Father do. I don't say anything that I didn't hear Dad say. Good teacher. No, none is good but one, and that's God. And then what does the Holy Spirit do? Does the Holy Spirit speak of himself? Exalts Jesus. His whole duty, his whole pleasure is to exalt Jesus and to lift Jesus up. So son is deferring to the father. The father is deferring to the son and the Holy Spirit's just taking their fellowship and making it real to you. <laughs> it's like another scripture that gets used in funerals. I has not seen nor ear heard what God has revealed to those who love him. And when we get to heaven one day, bless God, we're going to see it. No, read the next verse. But the Spirit has revealed these things unto us. What? The conversation of father and son and how much they love each other is the same love he has for you. Yelling on Wednesday night. Y'all pray for me. Hmm. Well, it does say assembly on the sign out there, so we might as well at least live up to the expectation. John 16, 13 to 15. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he won't speak on his own authority, but he speaks what he hears. Come on. That he only has ears to hear the conversation between son and father and then to bring that reality to us. That's where the prophetic word comes from. When, when the Holy Spirit gives you a prophetic word, it's a conversation that he's heard at the throne and he delivers it to you to let that person know God is talking about them and cares for them and sees them. It's never to bring shame. It's always to reveal the wound so God can heal it. You ever give somebody a word and it's like, they're like, whoa, how'd you know that? It's like, I didn't. But God is trying to get me to tell you that he sees you and he's actually talking about you up there. So that you'd be moved to, wow, God sees me. Humility, repentance, and you'd give it all to him. Because he's the only one that can really take care of you and nurture you, honestly. But he speaks what he hears and he'll tell you what is to come. He will glorify me because he will receive from me what is mine and will tell it to you. <laughs> Man, wow, this is cool. 15, everything that the Father has is mine. And that is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what is mine and will tell it to you. So the Father's committed everything to Jesus. Jesus has committed everything to the Father. And then the Spirit's just throwing it around like, bringing us into this truth. 
So Jesus was never laying claim to have anything uniquely on his own, independent of his relationship with his father. And you can't lay claim to have anything on your own, independent of your relationship with the son and the father. It's like God doesn't let us do that. Well, I'm just going to button myself up and it's going to be me and God from here on out. Well, you're just breaking all kinds of commandments because you've allowed a wound or hurt to inform your soul of how you should be acting. When in reality, God wants to use all that stuff to bring you into fullness. What pain or hurt have you, that you've given him has he not made right and made better and drawn you closer? And everything that you've held on to just stews and makes it worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. It's like um, God really wants to have all of us, even the parts we don't want to give him. Even the parts we don't want to think about or give up. Back to 1 John, verse 5, chapter 1, verse 5. Now, this is the gospel message we have heard from him and announced to you. That God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. Now, what do you think light would be a representation of? Good, yeah, I like that definition for sure. Um, does light reveal things or hide things? Ooh. Yeah. So there's only a few God is statements. God is love. God is light. God is life. There might be another one, but I think that that's the only ones I'm coming up with. If you know it, just raise your hand and interject. But Life, love, and light. That sounds pretty good. But here he's focusing on fellowship. And so what he's using is light. Can you have true fellowship if a bunch of stuff's hidden? Have you ever watched this show, I Married a Murderer or something like that? I know, we're getting in the weeds. Just, hey, just, let's, just, let's just ride it on out, okay? I got membership meeting next Wednesday, so you won't have to see me for a while, but... <laughs> but these people get into marriages and they, and they never knew that they have a string of murdered spouses and you're like how did you not know <laughs> but how many of you know people are good at hiding stuff matter of fact Adam was so good at it God had to say Adam where are you <laughs> fig leaf boy where are you at But that's what sin does, doesn't it? It, it steals our boldness. Steals our pride. It's, it steals the good part of us that wants to be bold. And then Satan uses the guilt from the sin and he twists it and says, hey, you didn't just do that thing. You are that thing. Now you've got identity issues and you're not good enough. And so you take a back seat and you step down from the thing that God was calling you into. And you throw money at other people's visions and dreams and never get a dream for your own life and your own call from God. And you live with a low-grade guilt that just is critical towards everybody else trying to serve God. And the real reason is, is you wouldn't be honest enough to get freedom about what was really going on. Why? 
because you're embarrassed. You're ashamed. You didn't want anybody to see that you were afraid, that you were scared. Man, I've been there. Whew. Well, I can hide some stuff. But there's only so much you can sweep under a rug before it starts lumping up. <laughs> okay? Like, remember the, the days of, you better get this. If you get this room clean, you can do this, that, and the other. Mm. About that much space under the bed. <laughs> Closet. It's like, all right, mom, come in for your inspection. Uh, don't look under the bed and don't open the closet. Can I go? That's why some of us are still in the room and hadn't got put out into public yet. Because Jesus says, if you take care of the secret place, he'll promote you publicly. And we're still trying to run out. And uh, like the great theologian Eminem said, I'm cleaning out my closet. Cleaning out my closet. <laughs> Betty, how, what do you know about Eminem, Betty? <laughs> Golly. I'm finding out all kinds of stuff here. Right? But it's like, but it's like, yeah, right? What do I know about it? Well, I was late 90s sinful guy, okay? So, um, so I'm thinking that God is more concerned with the secret parts than he is the visible. And that's his whole deal with David, right? Yeah, he's not head and shoulders above the rest. And yeah, he might not have the pedigree. And yeah, he smells like sheep. And yeah, he's out there a little bit kind of weird playing a harp and singing to himself. But man, have you seen that guy's heart? It looks like mine. Huh. It's why the, um, when God, uh, if you're going to sell me like a, a cow, I'm going to want the steaks. Right? If I'm a butcher... I get any pick that I want. Uh, Ribeye, T-bone, porterhouse, filet. Where else? Maybe a beef rib done right. Give me the brisket. Um, Shanks, if you know how to do them right. Asobuco, they call it. Um, I want the meat. But when God tells his people in the time of the tabernacle and temple to offer a sacrifice. You know what he tells them to do with the steak and the skin? He doesn't say, grill the steaks and skin the animals and make clothing. You know what he says? He says, yeah, take that outside the camp and burn that. He says, I want the intestines, the liver, the kidney, that God desires the inward parts. What we want the most, God wants the least. And what God wants the most, we want the least. And God's looking for bold kidneys and chitlins. And, and we're trying to impress him with our meat, with our flesh. And he wants your guts, man. He wants it all.
All that others would discard, God says, no, that's actually what I want. Because if I don't have that, I don't have you. If, I, if, I only, if you only give me what you want, do I really have you? Or I should say it this way. If I only give him what I want to give him, does he really have me? And so this light is going right with fellowship. Why? Because there's no hidden thing. There's no dark places. It's all just vulnerable and open. Good stuff, bad stuff, shameful stuff. It's all there. It's all in the open. But look what happens. God is light and in him is no darkness. All verse 6. But if we say we have fellowship, koinonia, with him, and yet keep on walking in darkness, what? We are lying and not practicing the truth. So this is odd that we can say we have koinonia with God and still walk in darkness and convince ourselves that we're still in the light because we have some form of American religiosity that looks Christian enough that everybody buys it. And it's really just Western Christian culture has nothing to do with bowing a knee to King Jesus and being in love with him. We call it churchianity. <laughs> just not quite as bad as the one next to me. <laughs> you know, like, woo! Comparative righteousness is what I call it. Well, there's more meat on the scraps I throw to God than them, so I must be good. And God's not buying it. Why? Because he's light. It's light. He's going to shine. He's going to shine everywhere he goes. He's going to expose and show. So we say we have fellowship and we keep on walking in darkness. We're lying, not practicing the truth. Verse 7, but if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from some of our sin. What? Oh, sorry. All sin. So now we have another component. We've got light. Now what else we got? Not dark. Blood. Blood deals with guilt. Light deals with the revelation of putting away darkness. And so God doesn't separate them and say, yeah, my blood's going to cleanse that thing that you won't, aren't willing to uncover. That's how you get stuck in a stronghold. You won't let God or anybody else see it and confess it. So what do you do? Yeah, you just stay in darkness and keep telling everybody, I keep asking God to forgive me. But the light don't work without the blood, and the blood don't work without the light. So God pulls us in this place of vulnerability. Why? Because he wants to shame us and show off all our blemishes and falls? No. He wants to heal those things. And the only way he can heal them is to reveal them. So God's light to reveal them so that he can add his blood to cleanse them. So there's a fellowship and openness with God that isn't a dark secret thing. It's an open thing to where he has access to everything. And in that, we're perpetually cleansed by his blood. 
and we're forgiven of all sin. So it takes some courage. So walking in the light is the essential component to continual cleansing by the blood. Isn't this funny? I think this is funny. Um, Jesus says this, don't fear men who can kill your body, but fear God who can what? Nobody else know this? Mr. Brandon, are you? Matthew 10, what is it, 1028? Don't fear man who could kill your body, but fear God who could destroy your soul into hell or something like that. Is that right? Isn't it funny that we can so easily confess our sins to God and walk away, but to think of another person knowing that we're more afraid of our neighbor who's a sinner just like us than we are the righteous God who's never sinned and doesn't even know. So some of our confession, flippant confession to God, I'm wondering if it even, if he's like, really? Really? Now I'm not saying go run around and tell everybody all your junk and garbage, but you ought to have a few close people that everything's on the table at all times. And if you don't have that relationship, get ready. You're about to fall into dark sin. Because wherever the light can't shine, you'll fall into sin. I don't care how tough you think you are, how, how radical you think you are, how filled up with Jesus you are. If you don't have brothers and sisters in your life that you can be completely honest with about everything, you're going to fall. And I'm not saying it. The Lord is saying it. Now, don't let your intimacy go beyond your trust level. You make sure you trust them before you, you cause a lot of damage. Confess the wrong thing to the wrong people. But that's the scary place that God calls us to. The place where we are willing to risk being rejected in order that we could be accepted. That... God is really trying to get to the root of what's hindering us, what's hurting us. And the only way he can do it is to pull the covers back and say, this is what's going on, but this hidden sin is uh, breaking our fellowship with one another. And it's isolating you. It's keeping you from being the same person you used to be. And when we find confession and good Christian brothers... I mean, I can name, I mean, I can name several, but I mean, Tim, I feel like I could tell, tell Tim anything, and I know what Tim's going to do. He's going to pray with me and ask God to forgive me, and then he's probably going to one-up me with something he did that's worse than what I did. <laughs> that's what's happened every time I've confessed anything I was scared to. Yeah. Kevin Jones, same. Me and my dad have that kind of relationship. I know there's several more in here, but these lights, I'm just trying to make out what I can make out, but <laughs> I'm just saying. And there's never a time that I've confided in a brother that I didn't feel release and freedom. And I wasn't stronger and bolder because you're only as sick as your secrets and the devil can only hold over you what you don't let other people know. That's why when you ask people, 
that have been harboring things for a long time, they'll always say, why didn't I get that out sooner? So don't let a lack of openness or hurt inform you that nobody loves you enough to accept you. Because it's not true. There's people all in this room that love you and are committed to your success and your flourishing. And uh, they want to help. I think this is where James 5.16 says, So confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great effectiveness. So it's kind of like, I wish I had some trash bags with a bunch of nasty old trash in here. Oh my gosh, thank you. Oh, Paige didn't take the trash out. Well, that worked out perfect. No, she actually staged these for me. So it's kind of like this. This is how um, Dr. Charles Kraft puts it this way. I love how he puts it. He calls the demonic realm rats. And our trauma and pain and things that have happened to us are trash. Whether self-inflicted or somebody inflicted to us. And what happens is, when you're carrying around trash, number one, it weights you down, slows you down. Probably won't smell very good. It's just kind of an unnecessary thing. But what happens if you carry it around too long, you'll start identifying with the trash. And so it won't be what happened to you or what you did. It'll be who you are. And then when you partner with the identity of trash, guess what trash attracts? Well, more trash, but it also attracts some varmints. I wish I had a couple varmints in here that really like trash, like some rats. Could we just get some rats? And oh my gosh, monster rats. Oh my God, you guys are just terrible rats, rodents here. This is terrible. Actually, the squirrel's a rodent as well, if you didn't know. And so here's what happens, right? Um, I'm carrying around this trash, and guess what it's attracting? Devils. Because I've opened the door, because I've identified with the trash, so now I've got demons on me because they're attracted to trash. They're always looking to where the hurt and the pain and the trauma is. That's what attracts the devil. And so what we do is we say, um, I need a prayer partner here to help me fight off these devils. Uh, Connie, you're, you're, the praying woman. you're the prayingest woman we know. You and Miss Brenda probably, and there's probably everyone here. But All right, come up here. And she's going to pray and rebuke these devils, and these devils are going to back oh, off. In Jesus' name. There go. we go. 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 Okay. So, oh, Miss Connie, thank you. Okay. And don't clap yet. We're only halfway to victory. So we say, oh, man, thank you. Hey, that prayer session really helped me. Oh, man, you ran those devils off. You get a little instant relief. But guess what you still got? You still got the trauma and pain. You ain't worked through your heart issues with another person. And so then you're carrying around. It ain't too long. Yeah, the devil's got beat back, but I'm still trash. And so that open door of trash, guess what it attracts? <clears throat> oh, gosh, giant rats. 
Oh my gosh, help. Miss Connie, come. Come, please. Please, Miss Connie. I need a miracle. I need to be at the altar. Okay. Oh. And so I make my life going to the altar over and over and over. And the prayer people beat back the devil each and every time. But guess what I'm still holding? So we need the prayer, powerful prayer partners to fight back the devil. But then we need a good friend that we can sit down and be vulnerable with and realize we're not trash. Trash happened to us, but that's not who we are. We're daughters and sons of the Most High God. We're sons and daughters of the King, that He loves us and died for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ demonstrated His love and died for us. We start filling ourselves with the Word and we start limiting the trash. And so then when we get the trash out of our life, the rats ain't as interested anymore. Because they've got other trauma that they can go to and deal with. And so there's layers of this thing of deliverance that God wants to bring you to. But we can't pray the devil of you, out of you every single time. Some of you are just going to get honest, as scary as that is, and to be real about what's happened to you and who's hurt you and all those things. Again, don't be intimate before your level of trust is there. But if you're not in church building a relationship with some of these Holy Ghost women, I, I'm wondering why Miss Brenda's sitting by herself over here, just to be honest. There's more, there's more treasure there than Fort Knox. And she's by herself. And some of you's in the back when you need to be finding a Holy Ghost woman that's fought devils and knows what it is that you can trust and confess yourself to. Hello. Or just keep walking in darkness and just keep holding the trash. I mean, it's up to you. But every time you got a problem and you want to beat back the devil, it might be that you're holding trash still. Yeah, and so, and I've been there, man. I've had to unravel my heart and tell people shameful things. And, but man, what a path to freedom. What a path to freedom. I was blessed. Paige's dad was that for me in Fort Smith when I was a youth pastor. Single youth pastor, you know, red-blooded American man in my 20s. Just because you're saved don't mean you're Superman. You better get some men that got some silver in their hair around you that know what it is to do the right thing and have a walk with the Lord that you admire. God says it's in koinonia to where these things get healed. It's not always in the secret prayer closet. It's a good start. But it's not an either or, it's a both end. You better have a prayer closet where you connect with the Lord, but then you better have a gang of ladies or men around you that are going after God with all their heart. So to confess, ex lama ogeo, say that three times fast, is the same word that means I give praise. So to confess your sin is it can in the same instance mean I give praise. <laughs> that it's not a shameful thing, it's a worship. I'm confessing my sin. It has no hold on me. And no shame on me. That God says, Koinonia is so valuable, you'd be willing to confess 
what you don't want to to somebody so that you might have the chance of experiencing it. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, whew, tell you what, you want real corn, Nia, get married. Yikes. No escaping, okay? <laughs> it's all out there. <laughs> no hiding. Um, so what I find is that when I confess uh, something, somebody, come up here, Kevin. So I was using Kevin here, so I'm confessing. When I confess to him something, I'm actually giving him some power. It's like I'm handing him a weapon, really. It's like, here's a gun. Here, just hold it out. Security team, that's just his fingers. So, just so you know. I'm giving him a gun. And I'm saying, you could use it on me or against me. But I've got to experience koinonia and I've got to be free. And you know what I found? The people that I've given weapons to, do you know what they do when somebody comes against me? They use the weapon that I gave them against the very people that are coming against me. Why? Because they know my heart. They know I'm not trying to hold a bunch of stuff. <laughs> but the very weapons you think you're arming people with to kill you, man, they'll turn it on the devil and just go to war with you and say, yeah, we're going to get the devil because tell the truth and shame the devil, man. That's the old, the old statement. It's true. So God doesn't parse out the relationship of others and himself. He won't let you have a deep walk with him if you don't have a deep walk with others. It'll always be on a superficial plane. It's just the way he's made it. He's made us to be together. Made us for others. And it's just what it is. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 8, this is what... John says, Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God. And everyone who loves has been fathered by God and knows God. So how do I know if someone's been fathered by God and knows God? How do they love other people? How do you love other people? Verse 8, The person who does not love does not know God because... God is love. So he never says, all right, you have a great love for me, but you sure don't love your brother. Or he doesn't say, you have a great love for your brother, but you don't really care for me very much. It's that he's always putting the two realities together. He says, love the Lord your God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Same commandments likened unto it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus really ratchets it up. We think that, I mean, oh, man, Jesus, that's hard enough. And then he says in John 13, something like this. This is the greatest commandment. A new commandment I'm going to give you. Don't love others as you love yourself. Love them as I have loved you. <laughs> well, that'll break your heart. <laughs> but God calls us to these impossible standards. Why? So that we'd say, God, give me the grace to do it. So that we wouldn't try to complete it without koinonia with him. So my koinonia with him gives me power to have koinonia with you. And my koinonia with you gives me power to have koinonia with him. So it's kind of a big topic. 
Um, yeah. So I heard it said like this. We should live roof off, walls down. That's good. I think it was Derek Prince. Roof off, walls down. So I would say, maybe the roof's beginning to lift for you. I would say, make some friends and begin to have those walls come down too. Or maybe those walls are coming down, but you don't ever look up to the Lord. You need to nurture your relationship with Him. Roof off, walls down. So, um, three kinds of relationships that you need in your life that will, I think, serve you well. You need, uh, come here, Dad. Come up here. Don't fall asleep on me. <laughs> supposed to be proud of your son, not sleeping on me here. That's all right. I'm working on my craft here, getting better. All right. So you need somebody that's at least two steps ahead of you in your walk with the Lord. Then you need some. Come up here, Kevin. You need somebody that is a peer. So you have someone to go to that has more miles um, down the road than you have. Then you need somebody that's in a similar position spiritually and in their life with you. But you can't just be selfish and be receiving all the time. You need to have somebody two steps behind you that you're loving on and that you're mentoring. So you have someone two steps behind. I'm not saying you are. I'm just saying that I'm just using age here as a barometer. Two steps behind. Peer, two steps ahead. So I'm helping somebody get to where I'm at. I have somebody that understands where I'm at and have somebody that's already at where I'm trying to go. So here's the deal. If you write down anything, write down this. Who's two steps behind me that I could bring along with me? Who's somebody that's shoulder to shoulder with me that could be a peer that we could encourage each other along our journey? Like a brother, an equal. And then who is somebody that I admire their walk with God and I want to walk with Jesus the way they walk? Identify those three relationships in your wife. In your wife. In your life. These are not my wife's. Brother wife's. No, I'm just um, I started a TLC show. Uh, um. All right. So anyway, no sin. These three relationships foster those things. And I think you'll find it that it will serve you well to change your life. And God will highlight people. He'll just be like, he'll be like, oh, yeah. Hey, that person. And start palling around with them. Now, here's what, here's what happens in the spiritual realm when it comes to fathers and mothers in the spirit. Okay? Um, fathers in the natural and mothers in the natural chase their kids around. <laughs> fathers and mothers in the spiritual must be pursued by the sons and by the daughters. So it can't come to you. It's an intentional pursuing on the son or the daughter. Okay? It's upside down in the kingdom. It's different. 
And so you almost have to figure out how to make yourself a nuisance to get a hold and let them know how much you value them. So that relationship, to foster it, you're going to have to pursue it. I mean, you're going to have to, hey, can you go do lunch? Hey, uh, you're going to have to bypass your pride and realize that person's busy because they're hooked up with Jesus and they're on mission. So guess what? If I'm going to be beside them, I'm going to have to be hooked up with Jesus and hooked up on mission, and I'm probably going to have to follow them around and do what they're doing. If you want to be spiritually fathered or mothered, that's just... You just have to drop the pride and you've got to pursue that thing. If you're always trying, hey, come get me, hey, come to... Spiritual fathers and mothers don't do that. They can only be as much as a mother or son to, or father to you as you are a son or daughter to them. It's interchangeable. Your peer, that'll come natural, right? Uh, that'll take a multifaceted. The one behind you, you're going to have to pursue that one too. Because <laughs> they ain't always going to want to go. But that's the nature of the mentoring. So you have those, it's effortless, it's just there. And you got those you're going to pursue, those you're going to have to sometimes pursue and drag. But this way you're ministering, you are exchanging, and you are serving in each of those facets. Okay? So be thinking in your mind, I want koinonia. Who are my three? Who are my three? And start nurturing those relationships and see where God takes it. See where he takes it. Yeah. All right, let's pray. Lord, we just, God, we thank you, Lord, for koinonia, <laughs> true fellowship, openness, honesty. It's scary. It's frightening. But um, it's kind of the way you've set it up. And that the joy of it is greater than the fear of the vulnerability. The freedom experienced is greater than the fear of sharing our lives with another person. <laughs> so Lord, I just ask that you would just seal this word with your Holy Spirit. I feel you in it. I feel you're orchestrating things and I think you're going to start to knit people together in a really special way and that they would be committed to the flourishing of the other and the other would be committed to the flourishing of the older. So, Lord, we surrender ourselves, surrender our lives. Say, God, if you say go, we'll go. When you say who, we'll connect. Because our destiny depends on it. Looking like you depends on it, our relationship depends on it. And we thank you and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Give somebody a hug. Tell me. Thanks for tuning in. Our hope is that these messages will help you on your journey of discovering who Christ is and who you are in Him. You can learn more about our ministry at lvahs.org or follow us on Instagram at lakeview.hs.